talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, and I'm here with my co-host, Ed Mamet. Hello, everybody. Here we are again today for another episode of Cop Talk with another interesting guest. So today's guest is Charles Kipps. Charles is an old friend. He's a writer, producer. Charles has won an Emmy, a Peabody, and a Humanitas Prize, and the Mystery Writers of America Edgar Allan Poe Award. Is that correct? That's correct. Charles's credits include a Law and Order movie called Exiled and the 25th anniversary Columbus, Colum, Columbo special, A Trace of Murder. Is that correct? That's correct. <laughs> Keep going. There's a lot here, right? <laughs> He's the author of the fictional detective series, The Connabod Mysteries. Titles include Hell's Kitchen Homicide, which I'm very familiar with, Crystal Death, and Times Square Trouble. He wrote the crime film Zara's Law, starring Tony Sirico, as we know, Paulie Walnuts from Sopranos. Do you feel like you're in a box here? I do. You know, two I detectives do. asking questions? Okay. I'd like to talk to my okay, lawyer, Okay, speak when spoken to. Not yet. Okay. He also wrote the David Ruffin Motown Hit Walk Away From Love. Ruffin, Ruffin, not Ruffin, Ruffin. Ruffin. David Ruffin. Right. Rufy is different. So, Ruffin. So, Charles, you and I go back over 20 years. Yes. From the Times Square days, Midtown North days, Tony Orlando days, Bill Cosby days, Chris North days. Exactly. Um, But tell our audience audience about yourself, where you're from. Well, uh, how long do we have? No, I'm just kidding. We only have about 16 hours, but that's no, okay. No, I, 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 was, I was actually born in New Brunswick, New Jersey. But I uh, moved, my parents moved to Salem, Virginia when I was nine, so I had to go with them. I didn't have a job, I had to go. So, And I grew up in Virginia pretty much before I moved back to New York, or moved to New York for the first time. And uh, it's funny how people not from New York feel more like New York. I feel like I'm a New Yorker. You know, I um, love everything about the city. And uh, I've always been a writer. I mean, when I was in high school, I was a basketball player. Now I'm 6'8". Now I'm too small to play basketball. <laughs> but back then, I am. I really am. I was center. I was like Shaquille O'Neal back in the, back in the day, in the 60s. And, um, uh, and I was also the editor of the Ink Slinger magazine, which is a literary magazine. So I've always, I've always wanted to write. I'm going to go. I'm going to go pretty quick. We don't have 16 hours. Maybe just 14. But uh, and then I got kind of sidetracked in the record business because I learned how to play guitar. I wound up working with Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight, David Ruffin, and then I got back to writing. So that's my bio. But now you also did some work with Kiss, correct? Paul Stanley, Peter. Well, yeah. Kiss. Well, Kiss. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I wrote a song with Paul Stanley in the back in the 80s at some point. And I actually flew up to Canada where the Kiss was recording uh, to hear the song recorded. And by the time I got up there, Bob Ezrin, who was the producer, had decided to do the Kiss uh, concept album. Remember the Wizard thing or whatever it was? Right. So the song did not get recorded, so they did that. And then much later, I wrote a song with Peter Peter Chris, which did appear on his album One, One for All. And uh, uh, so those two guys, I never met, I never met, um, well, I guess I met the other members, Ace Freely, and, uh, but I, I don't, not really. I mean, I, I knew Paul Stanley, no Paul Stanley, I know Peter Chris, yeah. Okay. And I know half a kiss. What about the song, The Hustle? 
So a hustle was our production company. I was partners with Van McCoy, who had to hustle. Now, that's a quick, interesting story. Van McCoy, when I met him, was a major producer of, of a lot of stuff, and he wanted to do an album, and nobody would do the album because uh, they said well, it would be a um, vanity album and because uh, he's a fantastic singer. And then they didn't want to do him as a singer. He, he actually did albums with Mitch Miller. Remember Mitch Miller? So sure. anyway, long story short which is now longer just by saying that, he, uh, I finally talked to Hugo and Luigi, Hugo Peretti and Luigi Creatori. And they said, uh, okay, we'll, we'll do an album. So they had Avco Records. So anyways, he did an album. And The Hustle, Van had already written 10 songs for the album. I went out one night, went to a, a, a disco called The Adam's Apple because somebody said... Sure. Go yeah. see the hustle, whatever, or the Spanish hustle. Across the street from Dangerfields. Was it? Yeah. yeah. It was. So I go, I go day, there, yeah. and I see these people doing this dance. I was like, what? this is unbelievable. And I went back uh, to, uh, to Van. I said, Van, because he, he's in a Ramada Inn on 48th Street, which is now the something else, uh, Hilton. And I told him about the dance, and he, he was a genius. So he just wrote the hustle about 2 o'clock in the morning for a 10 o'clock in the morning session. So it was the 11th song, which then became wow. the hit. Wow. So, uh, so, you know, that's why one of the reasons I left the record business, besides the fact that I'd rather be writing, I like writing, I like writing movies and film and television, is I used to get asked, we used to get asked just to, to uh, record somebody. But then one day uh, a guy called me and said, do you want to do, I won't even get into the artist. I said, sure, but first you have to come in. This is like late 80s. You have to come in. And I wound up, instead of, being given the job, I had to explain what I was going to do. And then they said, well, you have to do demos first, you know, piano vocal. Mm -hmm. So I took the artist in, did piano vocal demos. I thought they were great. Came back, I had to play them for 12 people. And then one guy said, well, I don't know if that's a hit. And that really pissed me off. I said, well, I don't either. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody knows what's a hit. And, you know, nobody knows anything, uh, even in the in movie business, you know, uh, so... So basically, that's when I said, okay, I'm really done. I can't deal with the corporate nature of making music. So, Now, what was your favorite award that you received? My favorite award the right was answer. the <laughs> award from Midtown North Detectives that I got. I'm serious. Yes, that I got I at the at the uh, Rockefeller Center. The, right. right. That Rainbow was my, room, my Rainbow second. Room? Yeah, yep. yeah, Rainbow Room. It was a fantastic night. I mean, I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. I have, I have a plaque with... Uh, the shield in it. And my second favorite award was a retired detectives of that's New York right. award. I love that thing. Yep. That, statue. That's a, yep. a statue of a, of a beat cop. So yeah, those are, those are just, they were thrilling to me because yeah. they, 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 um, uh, basically were saying, okay, we recognize your attempt to uh, have people or whatever, but you're at least your attempt to try to get it right. When you write right. stuff about cops. Yeah, absolutely. But, because to me, I mean, if it, I hate it when I watch cop shows and it's so completely wrong. It's just, it just drives me nuts. Yeah. How did you get uh, in involved about, uh, how did you get involved uh, with writing about cops and crime? Okay, that's a very interesting question. It's a great question. So I said to myself, okay, how am I going to make the transition from song, songwriting to uh, writing, writing? And so um, I said, okay, number one, I have to get a job as a journalist, so I got a job at Variety. 
because I had a friend who covered me when I was in a record business, and he thought I was crazy. I said, no, give me a job as a freelancer, and then I, got, I had a regular job after that. And I said, what's the second way I need, the second thing I need to do to become a writer? Go to Elaine's restaurant. So I started hanging out in Elaine's. I met Jerry Giorgio at Elaine's. I met all these cops at Elaine's. And uh, I'm, I suddenly was immersed in the world of cops and, of course, celebrities and everything. And did you actually sit at Elaine's table or did you sit? No, it was, well, <laughs> actually, this is, this is a funny story. I came in the first night and I sat at the bar. Elaine and I became very good friends. But I sat at the bar and I looked over there and I saw Norman Mailer. I saw all these writers with Elaine mm-hmm. against the wall. And I said, how am I ever going to get over there? So I came back a second night, and I, I was looking at the table, and Elaine went like this, and I went like this. And she went, what the, and for, you know, they asked me what, who I was, and from that moment on, I was always, always at Elaine's table, yeah. the family table, we used to call it. Yes. Big, round, a big table, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's cops, it's wise guys. I mean, not too many wise guys, or at least. Uh, and there's writers, but, you know, the cops love, used to love it up there. Yeah, know. Bratton. Bratton used to spend his yeah, time. Bratton. Yeah, Bratton. I remember when uh, Giuliani said, I don't like my cops going to a place like that. <laughs> yeah. And so I went up to Elaine's that night. Yeah. She said, what does he mean, a place like that? Uh, yeah, what, what does exactly. he mean? Yeah, yeah. And John, she, John Miller also used yeah. to spend yeah, his time. Yeah, I, met, I met, got to know John yeah. Miller up there. And I she was very good friends with George Steinbrenner, yeah. who was also oh, pro that's the other thing. I've been, I was I was at it. I went to. I never was going to Yankee games much until I met Elaine. I probably went three or four times a year. Every time was in George Steinbrenner's box, and then Steinbrenner would come after the game and hang out with Elaine. And what what was surprising? Then one of the years that they won the uh, the league championship, he came by himself to celebrate with Elaine. You know, and I remember him saying, "We were talking about football too." He said. It's one way to have a good a winner. <coughs> it's disgraceful you don't have a winner in football, and that's spend money. Yeah. So that right. was that was time. I mean, he was he was a character, and he waited on Elaine. Elaine would go, Elaine, can I bring you anything else? Elaine, yeah. and running around. That was amazing that they had such a, a relationship oh, like that. You've written other books besides uh, cops, correct? Yeah. Well, I've written. Well, I wrote a book about, about Hollywood. That was my first book. Uh, it was the uh, and then I've uh, well, the, let me say, I wrote. Uh, I wrote uh, a book about Hollywood, which which was when I was at Variety, actually, and it was power, you know, uh, Pride and Prejudice in Hollywood. Uh, but Out of Focus was the main title of the book. But then the next book I wrote was, oh, I have to say this too, Ed. Uh, I wanted to write fiction, cop fiction, and everybody said, forget it. You can't write. You know, fiction is hard to sell. And then, of course, I ran into Kevin, and I said, I need some help. <laughs> and he helped me, and I sold it to Simon & Schuster. Right. So Yeah. Now, um, Captain? You good? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, yes, you but no, that was, so I don't know. It's strange how things happen. You know, but when I, just, I always say to people, when I decided I was going to be a writer, or, or not be a writer, switch from songs to writing, I, I had a plan. And part of the plan was getting a job as a journalist to show that I could write. And the other part of the plan was going to Elaine's, uh, where, where, you know, I somehow managed to get into the inner circle. Well, you're the second fan. Well, you're the about the third famous writer that we've had. We've had my cousin David Mamanon. We've had James Patterson on. And now we have you. 
Well, those two are famous people. I'm yes. not, but no, you're, you're, no, it's oh, you're, famous you're famous now. You'll be famous after this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. But what's interesting, yeah. though, Captain, is that um, uh, the book, the, the the first book, Hell's Kitchen Homicide, was oh no, the second book actually, Crystal Death, was picked as one of the ten best mysteries of the year by Kirkus, which is the the magazine, that, you know, the publishing industry. And I looked at the list, and I was said, I don't belong in this list. It was like all these people, Lee Child, I mean, the list went on of all these famous writers. But anyway, so yeah, now I'm going to be famous. Yeah. Will I be able to walk down the street? I'm going to need protection. I have black yeah. type protection. Oh, God. See, he's always he's yeah. ready right there. Now, um, I remember the first time I was it, at Elaine's with you for dinner. We did sit along the wall, you know, right. where uh, we were invited to sit with Elaine. And I believe uh, she had two earrings, and they were actually... Um, World Series rings that she made into earrings. Is that oh, correct? Okay, so no, yeah, almost almost correct. Yes. Yeah. Well, she, no, she had earrings probably, but she also, all right, every time the Yankees won a World Series, George Freiner would give her a ring, and she had them turned into jewelry. So that's probably she had yeah. the earrings on. Yeah. But another time she came in with a pendant with two, uh, two World Series rings on on a chain. And she yeah, sat wow. down, and I looked at Elena and said, wow, what a pair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that's, that's you know, so, no, but I mean, she gets a World Series yeah. ring every time. It's a, yeah. Oh, and then when I go with her, this, is, this to me is still amazing. We, the car would take us right up past this, past that, past this, right up mm-hmm. to the door. Yeah. And we go into private entrance. And no, just, Steinbrenner's uh, suite right up Yeah, top. go right yeah, up beautiful. in the suite. So. Um. Let's talk about Times Square, Charles. You, okay. you, you lived in Times Square for many years. Yes. I don't know many people that do live in Times Square, but I know you did live in Times Square for many years, and you've seen it change. You've yes. seen it go from Disneyland to Disney World to really <laughs> what it was before Giuliani took over, which was, you know, stepping over crack vials in, you know, Times Square. Um, what's your take on what, what has, how, how Times Square has transpired into what it is today from when you were living there? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm not. I'm not an expert. But I definitely give you my give you my take. All right. By the way, I came to, started coming to New York in 1970. I actually wrote "Walk Away from Love," sitting at the Ramada Inn, staring across Eighth Avenue at the Court Hotel, people going in and out, and I thought that's a busy place. But that was obviously a hooker yeah. place. Yep, absolutely. And Times Square was a was a nightmare then. Now, I'm not sure who gets the credit for this, but at some point, Bratton and and Giuliani and that, and that whole crew came on board. And then the, the broken window thing, right? Right. And the quality of life. And then all of a sudden I saw it change. You know, whether it was organic, I don't know what, I don't know how it changed, but it changed. Yeah. And then um, all of a sudden it just flipped back like a switch. And I think it's, part, I think it's partly because of this, I mean, I hate to sound political because I'm not really, but the soft on crime stance. You know, there's no real consequences for doing anything anymore. You know, you can even shoplift stores. You can do all this. You can do anything you want, right. and you probably get let out. Right. So I think it's I think it's the fact. I think the idea of arresting people, for example, I've never jumped a turnstile, but I think somebody who does jump a turnstile is probably going to wind up doing something else. Mm-hmm. Right. It's more likely for that person to wind up doing something else. Yeah, well, that's the broken windows theory. Yeah. It starts with the minor crimes, minor things, and you don't get uh, caught, you don't get... Uh, right, and then they, they, because, so that's what I think is happening in Times Square. I mean, and, you know, I also had a pet peeve in Times Square, the uh, CD guys, you know, and I, they're, they're criminals, you know, buy my CD, I mean, here, you want free music, and then the tourist stops. Right. What's your name, Kevin? 
here you are. Oh, thank you. They start to walk away. No, I mean, a donation. They call it a donation to get away with it, right? right. And then oh. they, they, say, they start to keep walking away. Next thing you know, they're surrounded by their friends. Oh, yeah. And they, they extort the money. Right. Now, there was also a shootout with a Midtown South guy, remember, with that guy at a Marriott. It was a, he pulled a gun, one of the CD guys. Right. Right. A, You're right. Had a shootout. So I don't know. It's just those guys. I know it's hard. It's hard being a cop because if you, you go out there, you work your tail off, and then you get arrested, you finally arrest a guy, and next thing you know, you see he's being let out or something. It must be who wants to be a cop, you know, at this point in time. It's it's a rough job. It's a, you know, it's it's a such a noble job, but the way cops are treated these days is just disgusting. Right. Don't you think? Uh, you're also a, uh, a songwriter. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Okay, so... When I was nine, <laughs> I took lessons at Ridenour, at Ridenour Music School. Oh, I learned wow. to play the guitar because my mother made me do it. I like and then, it. Uh, so, I, I was, so I started writing songs, and that's how. Uh, so, all right, so how I got into the record business. These are, are interesting questions, Captain. Thank you. I was walking down the street in Washington, D.C., and I heard a song come out of a window, 5, 10, 15, 25, 30 years of love. And I said... Wow, that's un- I was 20. I said, that's unbelievable. So I go inside, there are three African-American guys, one on a piano and two, and they're singing this song, and they had written it. And I said, um, you know, maybe I can do something with that. And they're looking at me like scrawny white kid, three seasoned black guys. And so I convinced them, let me take it to New York and see what I could do. But now before that, journalism again helped me. I, I got a job at the Salem Times Register when I was in high school and college. And I remember all, I was reporting on stuff like Kevin Schroeder's back fence fell down from the hurricane and had to be repaired. That was always So I said, <laughs> can I do something else? We have Roanoke Valley Civic, Civic Center here. Let me interview these guys. So he said, okay. So I interviewed Herman's Hermits, Mitch Ryder, Detroit Wheels, Sam and Dave. I interviewed all of them for the this little local paper <clears throat> had these Mickey Mantle interviewed. That's another story. But anyway. Uh, so I, I kept all the business cards of these of the managers. And so when I had this tape in my hand of these guys, a little mono tape, I, I made a call to the uh, Bray Ranieri, I think his name was, uh, manager of Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels. Remember them? Yeah, sure. And he said, uh, uh, I don't really do R&B, but why don't you call Ron Mosley at Sussex Records? So I figured, this was, these are the days when things work. I pick up the phone cold. I don't know the guy. All I say is Ron Ranieri told me to call. He said, come up, let me hear it. Jump on a train, play it. That's a hit. Let's do it. Bring in Van McCoy, and that was it. I was in the record business. So it was because I heard the song. And but but nowadays I don't know how I don't know how young people even get in to see anybody. Because those days the A and R guys would even go out. They'd go out, hang out. Now they, they live in the ivory tower. So uh, anyway, so that's how I got into music. And that lasted ten years. And I mean Aretha, Gladys, you know, Melba Moore. It was, it was an unbelievable ride. Uh, you uh, gave us your opinion before about uh, what's going on with the police and why police work is not what it used to be and how things uh, are bad. How, do, how would you uh, turn things around if you had the power to do it? Uh, see, <laughs> that's, that's, 
He, he asks great questions, Kevin. I'm he, sorry. He does. He does. <laughs> I give them to him, but yes, he does. I am in the, <laughs> I am in the box. I feel like yeah, I'm you're in the, in the box. box. Well, we, we do have box. a producer yeah. who helps us. Yeah. Yeah. No, we we're do. in the box. We so do. I mean, oh, Joe, Joe, Joe came Joe up Diamond, with yes. okay. yeah, Joe, Joe, okay. Joe, you came up Joe with Joe Diamond does all research. Yeah, I said, I don't need any. So he's the brains of the operation. I said, I don't need any written questions with you because we know each other Well, I mean, look, it's a tough situation, but I think you just can't ignore minor crimes. I mean, I don't know what you do. You can't fill up the jail. I don't know what you do, but I mean, it's got to stop. It's like, you know, like civilization is just crumbling before our eyes. I mean, there is no, there are no, I remember when I was in high school and, I thought, you know, you, you saw a cop, you were like, you know, respectful, petrified. You know, you would never, all right, I'll put it this way. Here's, here's probably the rude awakening about cops. Coming from Salem, Virginia, I come to New York and I'm coming from an area where, you know, cops were, you never mess with cops. They were like. You know, they were the, the community. You can't. So I'm in a cab and the guy's coming and he gets to 57th Street because I'm going and he wants to turn left. And there's a cop saying, you know, go, go, go. So the cab driver rolls down the window and starts screaming at the cop. You idiot. I, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, the cop's going to pull a gun and blow us away. <laughs> and he's screaming at the cop. And the cop's screaming back. And I said, oh, my God, this could not happen. In Virginia, you know, you don't, you scream at a cop, you're gone. So anyway, so back to your question, uh, I think you have, I don't know, I think you have to, I mean, it's such a tough question. Maybe it's parenting, you know, maybe it goes back there. That sounds too kind of pat for for me to say, but something's got to stop. You know, maybe there's a whole lost generation because most of the crime is committed by uh, young, young people. Basically, I mean, I've, I've read somewhere 18 to something, 18 to something male right. is, is a great amount. So maybe you have to, I don't know. What well, there's no question that parenting has a lot to do with it. I mean, when I was growing up, the, the, the worst thing that could happen to me was when my parents found out that exactly. the police would bring me home or bring my friends home. You know, it's, uh, but that's all changed. Uh, you know, one of the things that I learned years ago when I was, uh, when I was a young cop, and studying for promotion, there was a concept that the way to um, deal with crime was to instill in the criminal the concept of swift and sure punishment. And that is a deterrent. But that's not happening. And even if they are arrested, the problem we have today with, uh, with the woke society is the DAs won't prosecute for minor crimes, which goes to the broken windows theory. And even if they're, uh, they do prosecute, then nobody does jail time. So they're out on the street. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Uh, I know. And then there's all kinds of hot button topics like stop and frisk and that kind of thing. You know, you have to give cops the tools. To, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, cops' hands are tied today. That's the other problem, I think. Right. right? And plus, you know, you, I mean, if I were a cop, why would I want to go to all the trouble of arresting a guy, taking him down, and all that stuff, and he's going to be out? You know, I'm like, okay, let it go. And, and the other reason I could never be a cop, Dennis Coffey is a friend of mine. He's Motown guitarist. And I went to his house in Detroit, and his uncle, I think it was, had there he's limping, had a cane. And what happened, I think I told you this story, Kevin, maybe not. What happened, he said, well, I was, you know, I got a call, armed robbery, and the suspects on such such a street. So he was a beat cop, chased them, two of them, and they come to an alley and turn around the alley, and there's a guy, and he goes, freeze, police. And it gives the guy time to get off around. So that's why I could not be a cop, because I'd come around that alley with guns blazing. I would not give him a chance to shoot me in the hip. And so uh, 
but you know, that's the other thing. You have to use restraint as a cop. I mean, uh, but you still have to have the tools. I mean, stop and what do you think of stop and frisk? Well, stop and frisk is, has been around since 1968. I mean, it's a Supreme Court decision. It's a tool for the police. Right. And uh, it's the law of the land. You know, it just has to be used judiciously. It can't right. be used as a, you know, on an everyday basis just because you see someone and they look dirty and you're going to do that. You know, you have to have uh, what they call reasonable suspicion to do it, to use it. But well, it's there to be used. Well, what do you what do you guys think of all uh, this defund well, defund the police stuff? I think it's ridiculous. What do you think? Now, are you conducting the interview, or are we? No, I'm just, I'm just wondering <laughs> no, what I'm you guys kidding. think. I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah, let him ask questions. Course, well, welcome to my show. This is Charles. Defund the police. <laughs> defund the police. You can ask us questions. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, what do you think? You don't like the, he doesn't like the question. That's why he doesn't want to answer. No, I'll answer. I'll be more than happy okay. to answer. Defund the police is ridiculous. That's of number one. You should be refunding the police, uh, not defunding the police. Right. Supporting the police is right. what you need to do. Everyone needs a police. Um, and the people who come out and say they don't need the police, well, they're either perpetrators and don't want the police around them, or they're just saying it because they feel it's politically correct at the moment. Um, and let's face it, all these uh, celebrities that come out, like people in your world, you know, in your you know, movie industry and music industry that come out and say uh, defund the police, well, guess what? They all have armed security. And most of them are retired cops or active cops right. throughout the country. So, I mean, right. let's get real here, you know? Right. That's my response. You know, the, iron, the irony of it is that in Minneapolis, where they actually burned down a police station and they, you know, they stopped the uh, funding of the police, now it's just the opposite. Now they want the cops back and they want to rebuild the police station <laughs> because yeah. the, pe the public realized <laughs> it was so stupid, you know, to allow that to happen. And who's getting hurt? The, who's getting hurt is the community's getting hurt. You don't want cops? Fine. You know, you got to deal with that. You know, it's 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 true. I mean, right now it's a bad time for law enforcement throughout the country. But I right. always say it gets to a certain point, it's got to come back up. You know, I think it's going to be, it's going to turn around and the police will get the support they need. They should have, they used to have, you know, what it took 9-11, right? Before 9-11, right, Cap? Before 9-11, you know, uh, NYPD didn't really get the respect they deserved. And after all, it took two buildings to come down and 3,000 people to die for them to say, oh, yeah, let's support the police. Yeah, for and now we're back to, you know. <laughs> but well, like the community, like you said, a community, uh, like a, a Rite Aid or something closed in Harlem recently, and that was their, that was their only real source in that community of, of uh prescription drugs and stuff right, like that. Right. So, you know, it, there is a consequence to all this stuff. You know, uh, I don't, I just don't know. That was a good question. Ask me, what would I do? It, it, it would be hard. I mean, I'd, I'd start with the broken window thing, I think. Well, I was, that brings me to my next question. If you were the mayor of New York City or if you were the police commissioner of NYPD, what would I'm be not the, the commissioner. <laughs> well, I always thought you were, by the way. Still waiting to get promoted, Charles. Go ahead, yes. Um, but what would be your first uh, point of business once you got in office? What would you do to help the crime situation in New York City? Well, I mean, like I said, I, I think I'd reinstitute the whole broken window concept. And I think I would do a lot of, uh, you know, outreach, like Paul Valerga, who's here, uh, did outreach in the community. Uh as a deputy inspector. So I don't know. I think you sure. try to reach the community somehow. I think you do the broken window thing. And it's somehow, but like Cap, uh, like you said, Captain, the, the, the biggest concern growing up was if my parents found out I got arrested, it'd be terrible. Now, right. I mean, they just, they just don't care. Now the parents are saying, don't arrest my child. He didn't do anything wrong. He just killed two people, you yeah. know? So, but what, what I would do is start with a broken window, 
and do as much education. Remember, there used to be a lot of NYPD ads about, you know, remember the, there was a whole PSA, public service announcement campaign about, you know, doing the right thing all back in the 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, I do, I do, do more re- outreach to try, to try to stop the cycle, you know, the cycle of crime. And, and that's, it's just scary. How about putting people in jail and keeping them there? I would love to do that. I mean, yeah. I'd say after after the forty six arrests, I think you stay in jail. <laughs> yeah, right. It's time. No, but seriously, some of these guys, Kevin, you read that, that you know he's well, been. Well, we he, have he, another bizarre situation here. You know how many cop killers have been paroled in uh, the last few years? It's terrible. Disgrace. It is horrible. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's 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 unbelievable, and then there's a re- the retention problem, re- you know, retaining and recruiting. Yeah, you were we telling me about right. this all the time, uh, not only in NYPD but also national. So let's wind back to uh, Fat Albert. Tell me about Fat Albert. Okay, Fat Albert. Well, first of all, let me, let me go back. Let me just say this: I uh, all the time I spent with Bill Cosby was like America's dad. I didn't see any possible inkling of any of this stuff. So that may you know, I mean, of course I'm. I don't know what happened, but I, I wasn't there. So, Fat Albert, uh, let's go back to Elaine. Sitting at Elaine's, I meet David Black. David Black is a writer-producer who had just gotten a job to write uh, and produce Bill Cosby's show, The Cosby Mysteries. He hires me, which is a miracle, because I'd never done television. I get to know Bill Cosby, and it comes time to do Nickelodeon. We did Little Bill. We did Fatherhood. And then it comes time to write Fat Albert. And he said, we'll write it together. Now, for a 10-year, t- 12-year period, all the stuff that Bill did, we wrote together, including Fat Albert. And uh, uh, so, you know, that's how that transpired. I, you know, for, formed a relationship with him uh, on the set of, of, the, um, uh, of the Cosby Mysteries. And then he asked me to go down, this was interesting, to the uh, CDC to do, he, they did a, he did a bunch of PSAs for the CDC, Center for Disease Control. And I was down there and they took me to level four, which they don't even take senators to, but that shocked me too, because it's right in the middle of a field by a busy highway. Seems to me somebody, well, well it's, it's underground, but the, the little thing sticking up seems like somebody could just drive up and, you know, and uh, so anyway, so that we just forged a relationship. I mean, he, we we had dinner all the time. We had uh, watched football together. I mean, it was like, you know, he was it became a really good friend, you know. And, and it, so when all that stuff broke, by the way, it was surreal to me. It was like stunning. Yeah, I'm sure for you. Uh, what was a uh, there was another movie too about JFK assassination of JFK. Yeah, that, uh, frame, frame of mind. Frame of mind, right? Yeah, frame of mind. Tell us that, a little bit about that. Well, that uh, that was an idea that Carl Evans had about uh, the assassination and a piece of film. And he asked me, I met him and he asked me to write it with him. So we did that and I brought Chris Noth in. And uh, uh, so he played a cop that was NYPD cop that moved to Jersey and, you know, uh, a transplanted NYPD cop. I love stories like that. I may do one myself, but NYPD cop that winds up, winds up going to a smaller 
mm-hmm. jurisdiction. So, Charles, do you have anything, any projects uh, in the works right now you want to tell us about? Well, I mean, a couple things. I've got a, I've got a movie I'm trying to set up, which is very um, music-driven, so it combines the music and the other stuff. It's, uh, and also got a, another a cop horror thing. And by the way, I just want to say this also. I started writing uh, a, 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 a spy series, a, you know, espionage series called the Harry Chatham Novels. And the first novel I was working on, it was going okay, but I said, there's something missing, something missing. So there was a CIA agent who was killed in the beginning. I said, I know what's missing, a cop. So I put a local cop in the mix because he, all he cares about is he's got a body. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he's he, there's a he, the investigation going on, and now it became much more interesting because this cop is always there digging, digging, finally finding out it was a CIA agent, and then having to deal with that and the headaches that he created with the CIA. So, uh, so, so even then, I go back to my cop roots to write, you know, bring a cop in. There's no better character than cops. It's just you know, oh, it's the it's the best. So, Charles, how can people get in touch with you? They can't. No, <laughs> I like that. The, and, and we're done. Good. <laughs> no, no. They, I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh, Twitter. X, I guess. I'm, I'm on X. I'm on. That sounds weird, doesn't it? I'm on X, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, so I have a website, charleskips.com. Great. So Great. a lot of ways that they can call you and you can call me. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I'll call the captain. <laughs> or call captain. My supervisor. Yeah. Uh, Charles Kipps, our guest today, everyone. Thank you so much, Charles, for being here today. I know you're a very busy man. You're trying to write the captain's life story, and that may take a long time. <laughs> uh, with that said and done, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Cop Talk. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can, it's at Cop Talk WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. If you like what you hear, you could also subscribe to Cop Talk on WABC Radio. Uh, Until the next time, God bless America, God bless the NYPD, and stay safe out there.